Welcome to the Proclaim and Defend podcast, a ministry of the Foundations Baptist Fellowship International. We seek to encourage and inform pastors on modern-day topics from a biblical perspective. Our mission is to bring together like-minded Baptists to collaborate in glorifying God through fulfilling the Great Commission. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Proclaim and Defend podcast. This is Don Johnson. Today we have a really exceptional uh, program for you. Uh, we have Andy Montgomery, who will be hosting for us, and then uh, Ben Hicks. Uh, they're discussing an article that Ben wrote for us in uh, an issue of Frontline that came actually uh, out in the summer, I believe it was, at the end of the summer. It's called The Gender Controversy, which, of course, is a hot topic today. Uh, ben wrote an article that talked about how uh, a little bit of compromise is a big problem, and he used the text from 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 to sort of give the theological background to that. Anyway, the discussion is really great. Andy and uh, Ben did a tremendous job, and uh, I hope you'll uh, really uh, profit from this. Before we get into the podcast itself, I do want to remind you of the things that we always remind you about, the need for you to subscribe. We'd like to have you as a subscriber. It will support the work of the FBFI. Uh, it will... Uh, uh, be a great benefit to what we're trying to do and trying to get more of this kind of information out to you. So here's how it works. If you become a paying subscriber, you will be able to read Ben's article uh, on our website uh, right away. It'll be posted along with this podcast. In addition, you, uh, if you'll subscribe on an annual basis, we will send you a print subscription to the Frontline magazine. Uh, we think uh, it's a tremendous resource. I think you'll be blessed by it. We've got upcoming issues that are really, really heavy duty. Uh, fantastic. We're planning uh, some podcasts in the new year that are going to address some very relevant issues. A very fascinating one. I've been busy this week interviewing various authors and a fascinating one for the beginning of the year. And uh, I don't think you want to miss any of that. So please subscribe. We really want to encourage you to do so. Uh, I think it will be a benefit to your life. And besides that, as we say, you'll support the work of the FBFI, the work we do with the chaplains, and everything else that we're trying to do as a fellowship. All right, well, without any further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Andy and then to Ben. And I think you're going to enjoy this one. It's really outstanding. Welcome to the podcast today. I am Andy Montgomery, hosting this podcast for us today. And we are highlighting some of the issues in the gender controversy article of Frontline. And so I have with me today my coworker, uh, Be Pastor Ben Hicks, who actually is now Dr. Ben Hicks, mm. recently received that. And Ben wrote an article in the Proclaim and Defend, uh, or sorry, in the Frontline magazine entitled, A Little Compromise is a Big Deal. So Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. So any of these issues that come down to uh, the LGBT movement and homosexuality, these are battles that we are just beginning to fight here in the church and honestly will be ones that probably we will be dealing with for a long time. So this issue of Frontline, I think, was pretty important uh, for really for any of us to be equipped as believers in the day and age that we live. So, Ben, as we start, um, as we talk about your article, I wanted to share just a brief Story. I have a friend who lives in more of a rural area. You and I are both in the city of Indianapolis, so we are in more of an urban context, while others are in a rural context. And my friend Levi was telling me that 
at his church, one of the things they have to do, because he had lived in the city and now he's out there, is persuade them that these issues of LGBT, homosexuality, everything around that, um, are real issues that, that people will be fighting. Uh, for many in those rural regions, they think it's more of a boogeyman. So in your article, you talked about a lot of things pertaining to this topic, but you mentioned a slate of hate. Could you explain what you meant by that? Yeah, so I start with uh, an opening illustration where I'm driving home, and for a while there was a small little sign uh, that just said, no slate of hate. And so I was kind of curious what that was. I Googled it. I kind of had an idea of what it was going to be, and I was right. Uh, but at the time, the legislator in the state that I'm in, uh, in Indiana, was currently looking at legislation that would have done uh, kind of some some what we would think of are fairly non-controversial laws or uh, slates, uh, referencing there the slate of laws, that would do things like uh, prevent discussion of LGBTQ issues in K through third grade classrooms. Uh, it would prevent schools from, as we've seen uh, across the country, there there are public schools that are secretly affirming um, a gender identity that violates the biological identity behind the parents' back. So. Some of this is a little bit confusing if you're following at home. You have a boy who goes to school who decides, you know what, I think I'm actually a girl. And the school says, okay, well, we'll call you she and her, and we'll give you, you know, you pick a girl name. We'll call you uh, we'll call you Alice instead of Frank, and um, and we won't tell mom and dad about it. Um, and so this is going to be a law preventing public schools from doing that and then also forbidding uh, surgeries that mutilate confused children, uh, underage surgeries. And that was being uh, pitched as a slate of hate that these were hateful laws by hateful people uh, with hateful intentions. And so that's just, for me, that was one uh, clear, visible, every day I drive home, remembering the world that I'm living in, I'm remembering the city that I'm living in. And if you're keeping track at home, Indianapolis is not a deep, deep, deep blue part of the country. Um, we do tend to go uh, slightly democratic in, uh, you know, in the elections, but I mean, it, it's in Indiana. It's, it's a relatively, you know, it's a red state. Uh, there's, tends to be more conservative Christianity here. And yet even here, driving home every day, the reminder that what I would consider to be not even just biblical Christianity, but common sense is viewed by many people as hateful. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely a part of being in an urban context. Like mm -hmm. that, every, every one of those centers is where all these different realms of thought come. And uh, so, yeah, certainly um, it, it's a major problem. There, there's Unfortunately, there's so much terminology in this that it feels like we have to learn sometimes in order to be conversant in this. So You've got to get a dictionary out just to know what people are talking about. Oh, boy. So, yeah, slate of hate is just one of many uh, different ones that you see. Even some signs that just act like, oh, let's be kind. Like, we, in, theor in theory, we wouldn't disagree with that concept, but there's a, there's a loaded meaning behind that. There's an agenda. Um, as comes with any of these kinds of issues, one of the things that comes up is a lot of Christian leaders then step up and try to share perspective on this. And some of those positions end up being excellent, and some of them end up being horrendous. So in your article, you were highlighting Andy Stanley. What did he do that caused such a stir? What is his teaching? What What is dangerous about his teaching? Yeah, Andy Stanley uh, is the son of Charles Stanley, who is a, a very well-known and popular preacher, Southern Baptist. And uh, Andy Stanley is his son. And similarly, if you've ever heard him speak. I've listened to him a little bit, especially uh, going through this. He's a very effective communicator. He's a very good speaker. Uh, you listen to a lot of his messages and think, wow, that was a pretty good um, exposition, good um, good rhetorical skills. Um, and he's he's kind of, with this whole LGBTQ issue, the way I, I think of it is that there tends to be three camps. So the first camp would be uh, within Christianity. You would have the, uh, the pro-gay theology side. And so they're going to come mm -hmm. along and they're going to say, 
uh, one of two things. They used to, it used to be more popular to try and argue, well, the Bible doesn't actually say homosexuality is wrong. You've been reading it wrongly to say that. Um, that actually, from what I've seen recently, hasn't been as popular. I think there's still people who, who will try to hold to that. Uh, but frankly, the arguments just don't work. Um, and so the, the other side of it is, well, yes, Paul thought that was wrong. Um, yeah, that, that's what Moses is talking about in the Old Testament. But um, we've advanced past that. We understand more than they did now. Uh, there's a book called Two Views on Homosexuality in the Church. And the person who writes the pro-gay, the affirming side, is somebody named um, Dr. William Loder, who's one of the foremost experts in uh, Jewish uh, sexuality in the Roman period. And he will, and he admits in the book, yeah, um, Paul, Paul would not have been okay with any form of homosexual behavior, but we understand more now than, than Paul did. So you kind of have this whole, well, we've, we've advanced past that. They'll talk about trajectory hermeneutics. So trajectory hermeneutics says, um, the Bible sets us on a trajectory of love and acceptance and embracing people. And mm. the biblical writers themselves didn't quite get there all the way. They still had some cultural baggage. There were still some things that they unnecessarily condemned, but they're setting a trajectory and we follow that trajectory and that, you know, that allows us to be affirming. Boy, that, that has implications for, for even just revelation as a whole. Yeah. Like saying that we have everything that we need for life and godliness. Oh, it's an um, entirely different hermeneutic. Yeah. 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 Paul. <laughs> Paul didn't have everything he needs to, right. to live as a Christian yeah. today. Get, New Testament gets us real close, but we gotta we gotta keep going a little bit further. Boy, so that's what Stanley affirms? No, well, I want to be careful. So that that's the that's the pro-gay side. Okay. Then you have then you have the conservative side. That's where <laughs> this is probably not a surprise to anybody. This is where the FBF is going to camp out. Uh, this is going to be the conservative side. We're going to look and say, no, this is what Scripture says. It's very clear. I shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. Romans chapter one, First Corinthians six, First Timothy. Uh, chapter one, all of these passages uh, that we'll look at and say, no, scripture is very clear. You could even take Jesus teaching on divorce because he goes back to the creation pattern and says it's man and woman. Um, he made mm -hmm. them male and female. So we're going to look at that and say, no, homosexuality is wrong. And uh, we would say that any uh, homosexual behavior is wrong. Now, where Andy Stanley uh, ended up, I think he's trying to be is the best comparison that I can think of. And I, I didn't think of it till after I wrote this, but um is uh, America's position on Taiwan, where it's, um, <laughs> what was it, strategic uh, ambiguity. So sure. we're not, what do you think about that? Well, Are they a country? Are they not a what country? Do, what, do we, what do we think about what? Taiwan. Oh, yeah, Taiwan, that's over there. Are they independent? Are they not? And that seems to kind of be where, where Andy Stanley's coming from. So there were a couple of things that he said uh, that really caught people's attention. And this was, again, back when I uh, wrote this article, and that was, you know, long before the the July August even um, edition even came out, but um, you know there was a there was a conference where he kind of mentioned um, gay people and how you know for them to come to a place where they're not welcomed and where they feel like they don't belong and to just keep coming anyway that that shows a lot of faith um, and he just kind of made an offhand comment he's like I know the clobber passages I know Romans one and First Corinthians six and that's really interesting we could and he just he made some very negative comments about it, but he didn't he didn't come out and say being gay is okay, and he didn't come out and say being gay is not okay. And everybody was kind of wondering, what do you think? There's this big controversy, this big stir, and he didn't really say anything in response. And in the course of that, it brought up an old clip that, of course, started making its rounds on social media because that's what social media does. It digs up things people said before, and you'd completely forgotten about it, but the Internet did not. And sure. so... 
And so there was a, a very long illustration he gave about this person whose husband left them and uh, left his wife for another man. And they started visiting and they wanted to come to the welcome team. And this man was divorced from his wife, but his partner was still legally married. And so, um, you know, uh, Andy Stanley just made the comment. He's like, well, you got a clear case of adultery. Then he's married to somebody else living with a different person. And so we can't have them on the welcome team. As if the issue was his divorce and it, yeah. not his... Well, no, 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 not even divorce. The issue was his adultery, his ongoing adultery. I see. Because one, one of the men in this, in this relationship was legally divorced, but the man he was with was not legally divorced. Gotcha. So legally, he was still married to his wife. So it's like, oh, well, you're committing so adultery. So this is adultery that right. keeps them from being a part of the welcome committee, exactly. not their homosexual relationship. Right. And so the question becomes, well, if what if he was divorced? And they were living together. Would two uh, gay men be allowed to be on your team? And so that raised the question: Well, what what does uh, I believe it's North Point? I think is his church. What does North Point believe? What does Andy Stanley believe? And it, it seemed to kind of be very ambiguous. And I think you know at the time that I wrote this, I think I made the comment. And, and you have to be careful because we don't want to read people's minds. We don't want to assign motives. But when the question is being asked loudly. Um, on social media, and I get, you know, not paying attention to all the noise, but it's, it's a fair question. Where, where do you stand on these issues? And you say nothing about it. Um, it, it seems like it's almost intentional, right? That is Taiwan a country? Is it not a country? Sure. Which position do you fit in? Uh, we're not going to say, because if we say this, then we'll take off this crowd. If we say that, then we'll take off that crowd. So we're going to try and kind of chart a middle course there. That's, that's the difficulty of that strategic ambiguity. That's, that's why they do that. It's a lot easier to speculate about what someone might think than to have to really come out and say that strongly and then take the flack for it. Well, and even the strategic ambiguity, why do we do that? Uh, because we don't really want to say either way, right? We don't want to, we don't want to take China off and say, no, 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 they're not you. We also don't really want to encourage China and say, yeah, march in there. That's your territory. So what, so we just, we won't answer the question. And it kind of feels like there's a group of, of Christians that are somewhat in the middle on this issue where they won't come out and say, I'm pro-gay affirming, and they won't come out and they say, homosexuality is a sin against God. And they just kind of like hang out in that middle ground and won't really commit or confirm one way or the other. It's a lot easier to be neutral than having to, to take a stand on this. It looks like it's easier. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, fair. Yeah, that's a, yeah. that's a great way to put that. Um, one other point before we move on, I was curious, as you were talking, you said that Andy Stanley mentioned that there were some passages that he called. Did he actually call them clobber he passages? He did. He called them the clobber passages, which is normally a, a negative. Right. Well, that's very interesting. I, I can't help but but think about this. We've probably had so many conversations in our context with, with people wrestling over these things. I'm involved in campus ministry, as you know, Ben. So mm -hmm. some of the conversations I've even had, at one point somebody – who actually was trying to make that position at the beginning, you said a lot don't make anymore, that the Bible supports homosexuality. Um, one of the people that I was talking to about this actually found a book entitled The Clobber Passages. Hmm. And, and and as we talk through that, um, I, I really wish that they would just take that title and rename it The Relevant Passages, hmm. um, because that's what it's doing. It's taking every passage that specifically deals with homosexuality and then finds a way to reinterpret it and thus dismiss it. Well, it's an ad hominem attack, you know. It's easier to dismiss something if they're just being used to clobber. And, uh, you know, to your point, no, the, this is God's word. You got you have to do something with this. And it's easier to just say, well, there's only, you know, a handful of passages. And, and you can expand the list even that I gave. You know, people will, uh, they'll go to Jude or yeah, obviously Sodom and Gomorrah applies in, in some level. But, mm -hmm. you know, at, at the end of the day, Romans 1 is relevant to somebody. I had a, a student once who asked, 
in an apologetic class, they said, what if somebody believes that it's okay to be gay? And so that, you know, they're gay and they're Christian. And I said, well, they, and I, I took them to first Corinthians six. I said, they, they can't do that. If, you know, homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God, you cannot continually live this lifestyle and be a Christian. And they said, well, but they go to a church where they believe it's okay. And that's what their church teaches. And we kind of went back and forth and I gave my answer and, and he gave his answer. And I finally said, you know what? I guarantee you, if they're a Christian, they've read Romans one, especially if they're struggling with same sex attraction. Mm-hmm. I said, if you if you read Romans one and you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is not going to let it go. He's going to convict your heart and you're going to know because the spirit is going to open your eyes. This is not OK. It doesn't matter what your church says. I said, you cannot be a Christian and be living consistently in openly gay lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But such were. Such some were of some so, of you. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So since you've written this article, this was a few months back now by the time <laughs> we're recording this. Have there been any uh, follow-up uh, or updates on the situation with Andy Stanley since you wrote this? Yeah, there were um, there were some really interesting updates, and uh, there was a clarification <laughs> that made things a whole lot muddier. This is a vast understatement. There, <laughs> so, there are major updates. We yeah, set this up. <laughs> I, was, I was kind of looking at that, and it, it all broke uh, end of September, beginning of October, and really what happened, what kind of kicked it off initially was that Al Mohler uh, wrote an article, I believe, for World Magazine, uh, which, you know, these days means World Blog because all magazines are on uh, blogs. But he, he wrote not it. Frontline. Not Frontline. Front we That's send right. that in your mailbox. Subscribe now if you haven't already. <laughs> um, wow, uh, we're nailing this thing. There you go. But uh, so this was, oh, man, and the Internet died here, so now all my articles are going away. Um, but Al Mohler had written an article called The Train is Leaving the Station. And he basically was making the argument, um, Andy Stanley has kind of been ambiguous, but it's clear now. Why is it clear? Well, they had a conference called Unconditional. And the point of Unconditional was if you have children that are struggling with SSA, same-sex attraction as it's called, or with, you know, coming out as being gay, this conference is designed to help and to equip you. And as part of that panel, he had two men who were married to, quote, married, uh, two other men. Um, and so, you know, um, Al Mohler's making the point, you, you're affirming, you, you have an affirming position. You can't kind of play this middle game anymore. You're having a conference and you're having men in who are actively living a gay lifestyle right now. And so mm-hmm. Andy Stanley responded to that. And, uh, he, uh, he had a message and you can go on online and you can watch it. I did this. And, um, he essentially makes the argument, well, uh, this was designed to be a pastoral conference, not a theological conference. And so pastorally, we're trying to help these people whose children are going this way. So we thought that the perspective of people, and this is where it gets a little bit muddled. We thought the perspective of people who had gone through this and were still living, still following Jesus, I think was the language he used. Don't quote me on that. That that would be helpful for our parents. He also went on to, to affirm a biblical stance. He said, we hold to a New Testament sexual ethic. And I'm, I'm shooting from the hip here off the top of my head. I think it was, you know, we honor God with our bodies. Uh, we don't become enslaved to anything. And um, it was something about we follow bi- the biblical uh, biblical marriage. And um, and he defined marriage. Marriage is between a man and a woman. We've always believed this. We've always taught this for the last 28 years. I'm like, okay, great. And then he went on and he said, now, there are some people who have strong same-sex attraction and... They just, they live lonely. They don't get married, you know, because they want to be faithful and following Jesus. He's like, there's some people who, and and I'm trying to remember um, exactly the language 
that he used because it was quite shocking. But he said there's some people basically who have same-sex attraction, and they just they can't do that. Um, that celibacy is not an option for them, that they, they have to cave to it? Yeah. Um, let's see here. I'm trying to uh, find my Internet is working again, but I'm trying to uh, find where it is. But uh, essentially, yes, that you have people who – some people – ah, he said for some same-sex people, celibacy is just not sustainable. Okay? So they they believe what you believe. And he, he kind of sets that up as like, yeah, the, the ideal in Scripture is one man, one woman, or celibacy. But for some people – uh, they just can't do that, and so as a result, um, uh, they you know they they choose to follow Jesus and and marry somebody of the same uh, sex, hmm. and so that creates further confusion. Yes, we hold the biblical standard; that's what we teach. That's what we teach everywhere. Some people can't quite do that though, and so for those people, we don't kick them out of our church. You know, they can be members here; they can serve here. Um, yeah, and and what he said at the beginning that was really interesting. He said. Jesus, he actually mentions Al Mohler, not by name, but he mentions the article by name. And he said, basically, I don't subscribe to, subscribe to his version of Christianity. His version of Christianity draws lines, and I want to draw circles. He said, Jesus draws circles. Mm-hmm. He drew circles to draw, to bring people in. Now, that's a false dichotomy. And somebody <laughs> wrote a follow-up totally. article uh, that said, Jesus drew lines and circles. And I thought that was a great... A great comeback because Andy Andy Stanley draws lines. He's drawing a line. There's his Christianity. There's my Christianity. There's a lot. You know, I'm like, well, oh, it's pretty black and white. Um, you know, there's a <laughs> there's quite a line there. Yeah, that only muddies the waters too. It you does know, for the for the lost around us to hear that there are different Christianities. Someone trying to claim mm-hmm. a different Christianity. I know there's nothing new under the sun, but man, that makes this conversation more confusing uh, at times. And, well, and I don't know how you can take First Corinthians six seriously that says homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God and then say there are some Jesus followers who want to follow the Bible, but it's not sustainable. I mean, to say that following the New Testament is not sustainable. Um, yeah. We don't do that in any other area of our discipleship. Well, the Bible says you're not supposed to cheat on your wife, but for you, that doesn't seem sustainable. Right. The Bible says not to steal, but, you know, for you, that seems not that doesn't really seem to be sustainable. This argument from Andy Sandy seems like a downgrade from an already bad argument. Mm-hmm. Um because there, there's many out there that will argue, um, for instance, Sam Alberry, we've talked about this before, Ben, but, you know, is one of the guys that's out there promoting that ultimately there might be some Christians that will always be gay, that they'll never be able to overcome that. The Holy Spirit mm-hmm. won't won't change everything about them from the inside out on this issue. So to remain celibate is the most godly way for a person with SSA, as they call it, to live. Same-sex attraction. Yeah, yeah, right. But now Andy Stanley takes that standard and says yeah. even that can't be lived up to. Right. Um, which is just only a downgrading of a bad argument already, it's, it seems like. So in your article then, you, you turn the corner from Andy Stanley. I know we took a lot of time on that, but hopefully that's helpful to our listeners because the fact of the matter is this is out there. Mm-hmm. And people in our pews that sit next to us that, that are part of our church families are going to hear about this, more likely than not, especially our, our teenagers and our young adults who are saturated with social media. So you turn the corner then from Andy Stanley into a discussion about the Corinthian church. So as we dive into that part together then, um, could you describe just a little bit of what was going on in Corinth? Um, how it, it, You talked a lot about the difference you know, with the how idol food was treated. So how did the connection between idol food, homosexuality, how did that come to you, first occur to you as you were writing this article? Yeah, so you, um, it began, I was taking um, 
a seminary class and I had to write a paper. And so I, I wrote it on, on food offered to idols in First Corinthians 8 through 10. And uh, it began where I, 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 you know, I had a book report. So I you know, got a book, read the book, and the book was fascinating. It was by uh, an Asian Christian who made the case that all, eating all food that you knew was sacrificed to an idol was wrong. If you knew that it was sacrificed, that that was an idolatrous act. And that that surprised me because in my Western context, the way I'd always been taught that is like, well, you can eat idol food. Maybe not. It just depends. But Christian liberty, Christian liberty. But if it bothers another Christian, then you shouldn't. And that had always kind of worked for me. So I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But as I was reading him, one of the things that was interesting is he said, you know, as soon as I got saved, I immediately uh, this is uh, Alexander Chung, by the way, uh, I reference him in the article and um, uh, he wrote a monograph on this on this topic. And in the, the introduction was really fascinating to me. Um, and he made the he made the statement. Um, as soon as I got saved, I grew up in a Buddhist context and I was immediately faced with the problem of food offered idols. Mm. He said, because that was my mom would tell me, oh, that's that sacred food. It was special. It was sacred meat. And he's like, I immediately as a Christian had to make a decision. And he's like, my my gut reaction was like, I shouldn't eat that. He's like, and then I, I, as a Christian, I read 1 Corinthians 8 through 10. I'm like, oh, good. Paul agrees with me. Wow. And then he said, and then I came over to the West and everybody in the West is saying, no, no, no. Paul's okay with you eating food offered to idols as long as nobody else around you is bothered by it. And he's like, I just, I don't think that's right. And so uh, his project, his, uh, his doctoral work was tracing out early Christian attitudes about it. And what he found was that every time it's mentioned in the ancient church, they universally believe that eating food that you knew had been offered to idols was wrong. Um, and we, we tend to think of it as like, oh, it's ceremonially unclean, right? The Jews have all these, um, these kosher laws, and one of the kosher laws is you can't offer it to idols. That's not how they thought about it. It was viewed as an act of idolatry. To eat idol food would be like eating communion. You're eating something in the presence of the deity. It would be like eating the peace offering in the Old Testament. You're eating a meal in front of the Lord. And so to eat food sacrificed to idols, it was like you're having a fellowship meal with demons, which is what Paul says in First Corinthians. Sitting at Satan's table. Yeah. Exactly. And and he says there, you know, the things that they offer, they offer to demons. I don't want you to be, and he actually uses the koinia root. He says, I don't want you to be fellowshippers or participants mm. with demons by eating this food. So that that was kind of the uh, the original impetus was I was writing this paper. And uh, this is not, you know, my opinion on or my interpretation. I'm not the only one that holds this. It's also not the only interpretation. There's very smart people that disagree with me. So it made for a great paper, you know. Sure. And then I'm. Um, but how did it? So how did you turn the corner from yeah, that I was, into homosexuality? Yeah, so that's where I was going next with that. Is um, I then am preaching through First Corinthians, and I'm a little bit nervous because I'm coming up to eight through ten, and I knew I wrote a seminary paper on this. And sometimes when you go all academic on something, it gets harder to preach on because you're trying to you know cover your bases, and you know you're you find yourself if you're not careful preaching for um, all of the people who disagree with you theologically, none of whom are sitting in front of you. Sure. Um, arguing with the people who are outside the room, right. not, the, not preaching to the ones who are there. Right. So I was a little bit nervous about that, but I tried to real hard to make it practical. And I just talked about the fact, um, why would the Corinthians try and eat food sacrificed to idols if Paul told them it was wrong? And that was kind of the rub, because I think Paul told them it was wrong, because we've got the Jerusalem Council that said, don't eat food offered to idols. And Paul said, yeah, I can do that. Uh, we know that Paul wrote them a letter. We know that Paul was in Corinth for a year and a half. The odds that Paul had never mentioned to them, oh, hey, don't eat food offered to idols. We agreed on that with James and everybody else. Mm -hmm. Seems pretty low. So if Paul told them to do it, why were they doing it anyway or told them not to do it? And my solution was um, it's it's a very heavy social cost to not eat food offered to idols. Mm -hmm. Everyone agrees that idol temples were essentially the restaurants of antiquity. Um, that's where business happened. 
That's where people would go for special occasions. That's where they would celebrate holidays and feasts. So if you as a Christian say, I'm, I do not go to idol temples ever. Wow. Yeah. A lot of peer pressure. A lot of peer pressure. Ostrac- being ostracized yeah. in the community. Well, imagine that your guild leader comes to you and says, hey, there's a coming of age for my son, and we're going to be celebrating it down at the Temple of Dionysius. And you go, um, I'm not going. And he says, what do you mean you're not going? Well, I'm a Christian, and I don't worship your pagan gods. <laughs> Probably not going to get a promotion. It might not even keep your job. It might not even keep your job. So... I, I, I preach through that and I explain that and I talk about how we need to have courage. We need to be ready to take a stand about how following Jesus is going to sometimes bump into. And, and I wasn't really thinking about this. And I walked away and I had somebody from our church come up to us and say, you know, it's funny you preached on that. There's actually two uh, two people in our group. One was uh, both of them were kind of in the in the business world. And uh, the one said, you know, we were just talking about how today I got a link to a video um, that my company put out talking about their commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and affirming all peoples and choices and lifestyles. And they told all of us, hey, we would like you to put this in your email signature. And he Ooh. said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And they didn't, there was no threats. Like, if you don't do this, he's like, but I tell you what, everybody at work knows I'm an outspoken Christian. Everybody at work's looking to see, oh, did, uh, did so-and-so put that? No, nope, mm. it's not there. And he said it was this was really helpful just thinking through this issue because this is what I'm facing. Wow. And that was when that connection was first made in my mind. And it was one that I continued to share. And so actually uh, I shared that paper at uh, a FBF winter board meeting. And uh, Pastor Gordon Dixon heard that and was preparing this and said, you know, it'd be really interesting if you read on the right on the Andy Stanley perspective from the perspective of Corinth and food offered to idols. Oh, so Gordon got you to, to put all these pieces together. He did, huh? yeah. He he kind of put the the last few uh, pieces together for me. I, I had I had kind of begun applying this generally in the in the direction of we've got to take a stand, we've got to be ready to be ostracized, but we've got to take a bold and courageous stand, even when it's unpopular, even when it's misunderstood. Christians were called uh, I'm trying to think of the word misanthropists which uh, you probably heard of philanthropist. That's somebody who loves humanity. Sure. Misanthropist comes from the Greek miseo, which means hatred. Christians were called haters. They were haters of humanity. Wow. Because they didn't go to the feasts and because they didn't participate in some of the political stuff where idolatry is. I mean, in the ancient world, if you said, hey, idolatry is there, I'm going to pull away. You pull away from just about everything. So those are the hateful people. They don't they don't want to mix with us. They, they've got a problem. They, they hate humanity. Wow. Another title that I heard Christians referred to. Uh, when Polycarp was murdered in Smyrna, when he was martyred, they were actually called atheists mm-hmm. because they didn't believe in yep. all the gods of the culture. And so when they said, down with the atheists, Polycarp, while he was being martyred, he pointed at them and says, yes. He points back at the crown, down with the atheists. Hmm. Uh, just interesting interesting ways that Christians have been uh, called these things over the years. So, uh, Ben, are there any other main takeaways from this passage in Corinthians um, that, our, our hearers need to think about when it comes to this connection between really the, the food offered to idols, not compromising, um, and homosexuality. Are there other areas where Christians maybe are challenged to compromise that we should be thinking about? Well, I think another, to kind of broaden it out, another takeaway that I, I had from this study is that we're somewhat inferring when we say the Corinthians were doing this for social reasons because they actually give theological rationale. And this is kind of interesting. If you go in the Old Testament, there seems to be two lines of attack against idols. One is they're nothing compared to God, and the other is they're incredibly dangerous. 
And what happened is the Corinthians latched onto the one that says they're nothing compared to God. You know, we worship one God. You know, for us, there's one God, the creator of all. Um, you know, idols are nothing. They're vain. They're futile. So we're eating this food. It doesn't matter. It it's doesn't not matter. A real, it's right. not even a real thing. Right. And what Paul is doing is he's, first of all, I think he's clarifying and critiquing that and saying, well, wait a second. The way you're going about this is a way that's destroying the church. Even if you were right hmm. in your attitude, you are destroying the brother for whom Christ died. And then he says, look, I'm giving up real rights. These are, it is actually my right to get married, to get paid. I've given up real rights. How much more should you be willing to give up this bogus right? And then I think in chapter 10, what he's doing is he's saying, and by the way, by the way, you're missing it. I love what he says to them. He says it several times. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. Hmm. This is Corinth. Do you know how big an insult it is to look at the Corinthians and say, hey, look, I don't want you guys to be a bunch of ignoramuses. No, they were wise. Just ask them. They're very wise people. Hmm. Well, what is he saying? He's saying, look, I don't want you to be ignorant. Look at what happened when Israel messed around with idols. There are demons behind these. Deuteronomy 32 teaches that. Like you are messing around with demonic forces. You don't realize what you're doing. They're dangerous. Wow. So here's what that, as I take a step back, Corinth, I believe, was coming up with theological rationalizations to mask their social reasons. So they wanted this for social reasons, and they came up with theological justifications to get what they wanted. And I think we mm. in the church in America, whether we want to use the label evangelical or even fundamental, we all have a tendency to do this, where we look at ourselves and we begin to, we want certain things. And if you want something hard enough and long enough, you can you can rationalize it somehow. And that's exactly what Corinth is doing. If you really want to be able to affirm LGBTQ you will put yourself through the hermeneutic gymnastics necessary to be able to say, no, 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 the Bible's okay with it. The Bible's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Wow, that's convicting. We we need to let, we need to not let our desires drive our theology. Mm -hmm. We need to have our theology drive our desires. Yeah. Yeah, what we believe before what we desire. So we'll, we'll, we have two questions that we'll use, and then we'll wrap up from here, Ben. So what is at stake then? Really, this answers the question of your whole article here. But what's what's at stake if we go along to get along? I think what's at stake is that we lose our witness. Hmm. You know, to go back um, and we uh, we may be consigning people to hell, and we may be failing wow. our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I think about the fact that there are people right now at Andy Stanley's church, and he's made the decision. Everybody's following Jesus their own way. We're trying to draw circles, not lines. Um, that's not the loving response. It feels loving. It feels compassionate. As I watched the message that he gave, the unclear clarification, it, there was, it was so heavy on personal stories and anecdotes and how hard it is. And I talked with this person and here's this person's story. And there was almost, there was almost no scripture in the message. And so he's not rooting it in what does God's word say. He's trying so hard. And, and, you know, I want to assume the best. So let's assume the best. He's trying so hard to reach these people. But he's doing it in a way that circumvents God's word. And as a result, mm. there are people right now who are on their way to hell, who are going to his church and are being told, it's okay. You can be a member here. You can serve here. We think you're wrong, but we love you and we accept you anyway. And they're going to hell and there's nobody warning them. And... um you know, they're, they're on the, they're on the broad path that leads to destruction and nobody's calling. And he's like, they know what we believe. I'm like, do they really, do they really know that you believe first Corinthians six that says homosexuals 
to use the, the King James, right? The abusers themselves with mankind, the effeminate, the, the active and the passive partner. Yeah. Do you really, do they really know that you believe those people will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? And if you're following along at home, that is the New Testament way of saying they're not going to heaven. Hmm. Um, and if we, if we equivocate, if we compromise on this, then, um, we're going to, uh, we're going to lose people. And, uh, you know, we're going to, there, there is such a thing as a, you know, the, the example that I've, I've used before is, you know, people always want to say, well, you know, we just want to encourage and support people even if we disagree with them. If you had a family member that was using crystal meth and said, no, it's fine. I like it. It's the, my life. I get to choose and do what I want with it. I don't think you'd look at them and say, well, you know, I disagree with your choices. But, you know, those are your choices to make. And so whatever it brings you happiness and fulfillment or even mm -hmm. as Christians, you know, I don't think that would honor the Lord. No, if, if they're using crystal meth, you're going to warn them. Don't don't take that drug. Look at what happens to people. You know, here's here's a picture of somebody using it for five years. This is what you will look like in five years if mm -hmm. you stay. That's not compassion. It's not compassion to say, well, I'm sorry. No, you warn people. And that's, you know, that's not being harsh or judgmental or unkind. That's warning them, hey, you are on a, you are in a, you are headed for a cliff of God's judgment. I'm not judging you. God is going to judge you. He told you he's going to judge you. And I'm warning you because he's also offering you salvation if you'll turn. Hmm. Compassion without truth is not really compassion. Yeah, that's a yeah. good way of putting that. All right. So for our last question, Ben, thank you. This is, there's a lot that we can gain from this, but let's close at something I think it would be helpful to our listeners. Um, especially if they are just beginning to study out this topic, right? There's only a thousand resources out there <laughs> about this right now. So what resources on homosexuality would you recommend? Or maybe what might be some that you would caution our readers about that they might see a title for a book like this and, and they think, Oh, great. That's going to give me a great perspective and might not have what they, what they really need in there. So what's a, what basically what are good resources on this topic? What are some bad resources maybe in the middle? Yeah. Um, so let me start off by, as you mentioned earlier, we kind of talked about this. There's a distinction that needs to be made, uh, kind of a split that's happening in the broader Christian world in the conservative side that you need to be aware of. There's essentially two views. One, one view accepts the world's analysis that this is an identity. And in fact, um, as I was watching Andy Stanley's message, he made that comment several times. He's like, this isn't just something that you do or something that you want. This is who you are. Um, and that's where, you know, you mentioned Sam Alberry. There are believers who are, who, um, who, some of you, some even who have gotten saved who would say, I am still gay. That's, that's part of my identity. That's part of who I am. But I know what the Bible's sexual ethic says and I want to follow Jesus. So I'm going to white knuckle it, right? I'm just going to, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get married and I'm just, you know, I'm never going to, you know, enjoy sexual pleasure and I'm just, I'm going to live a celibate life as a gay person, because I want to follow Jesus. I will be a gay Christian. Yeah, and they'll say that. I'm a gay Christian. That's who I am. Yeah. So uh, Sam Alberry's one that, you know, is is often, his stuff is put forward. And as you read it, he's going to affirm the Bible's stance that homosexuality is a sin, but he buys into the identity. And I think that's dangerous. I don't think we see that in Scripture. Scripture teaches that we have to die to who we are. I mean, there's a sense in which my identity is a sinner. But when I'm saved, I'm now a new creature. And I have to crucify my passions and its desires. Um, Preston Sprinkle is another one who's yeah. uh, very well known and uh, does a lot of work in this area. And again, you read him, he's going to say homosexuality is a sin. But again, he's a little bit more open to dialogue. He'll talk to some of the more uh, 
uh, affirming side, and he uh, is going to allow for the possibility that somebody is still gay. Yeah, let's nuance this. Maybe some of nuance. our leaders are holding to these issues and yeah. yeah, nuance, winsome. You know, these are kind of some of these, these words, and and we want to be nuanced in our conversations, and we want to be winsome when we share the gospel, but never at the expense of truth. And, yeah, and we don't. And I think the danger is they're accepting a a worldly presupposition, which is that certain people are made this way, and then they're saying, okay, let's apply scripture to that. When they need to come back to scripture and say, okay, scripture describes all of us as broken sinners with broken sinful desires. And the Bible prescribes a solution, which is the gospel. And the gospel does not leave me with, well, I have all these broken desires. And and there's other things too. There's a, a conference that was popular uh, and controversial called Revoice, yep. which is a belief of like, hey, how do we celebrate and affirm gay Christians? And what? And, and it just, it, it creates all kinds of confusion because what you're saying is that at the core of this, there's a desire for something that's sinful, but that's part of the good way that God made you. Right. And that's that's just not helpful. And just for the perspective of our listeners, Preston Sprinkle also has recently been writing a lot of leadership curriculum for staff from Campus Crusades for Christ, now called oh, Crew. Right. So there's been a lot of controversy recently over Preston Sprinkle, not only because he holds those positions the way you say he does, but also because now some pretty major ministries are depending on him for their teaching of how to equip their leaders on this topic. And that's, hmm. that's becoming... An issue, and that was chiefly pointed out by I think one of the good, one of the authors you're going to describe as a good example. Yeah, so let me just go through three that I would uh, encourage uh, if you if you're new to this uh, kind of realm and you're like, all right, I, you know, maybe you're a pastor or a committed layperson, and uh, you you know somebody who's struggling with this or this comes up and it, it's surprising to you and you're oh, where do I go? Uh, a couple of resources to be aware of. Kevin DeYoung uh, did one called What the Bible Says About Homosexuality. He's a clear thinker. He's a good writer. Um, he organizes it well. He kind of works through the, the passages that deal with homosexuality. His is one where if you have somebody that says, well, the Bible says this is wrong, I think, but some people are saying that the Bible is actually okay with it. His is one that will walk you through the biblical arguments very well. Hmm. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield, and this is uh, she's the one of the ones who um, you mentioned who kind of spotlighted some of the concerns with crew. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield is, is interesting. She was a tenured radical uh, professor at Syracuse University, uh, go Cuse. Um, I'm a Syracuse fan, believe it or not. Um, so that was kind of an interesting connection there. But she is a uh, former lesbian professor who started a conversation with a Presbyterian minister that ultimately led to her accepting Christ and leaving that lifestyle behind. She's now married to a Presbyterian minister, and she's a mother. And um, her life has totally changed around uh, because of this. And she's she's even grown. Um and she's kind of walked back some of her earlier positions because she used to be softer on some of these issues. You know, she used to be one who would hold to what we call uh, pronoun hospitality, where, I, you know, I'm going to use your pronouns uh, that you want to be used because I want to reach you with the gospel. And she later came out and said, I repent of that. That was sinful. I should not have done that. So hmm. hers is an interesting testimony of somebody who was living very intensely in that world and was fully involved in the LGBTQ world and has since come out of it become an outspoken Christian. Yeah, and she's very articulate. And if you want to hear just a good snippet of what she believes on this topic, she just did a, a chapel session, or not a chapel, a convocation, yeah, a convocation at Liberty. And uh, that that's easily accessible if you just Google it. Yeah. And then uh, the final one uh, that I would recommend, and I recommend this one with caution, uh, Robert Gangan has written the Bible, and I think it's called The Bible and Homosexual Practice. 
Um, and this is as far as the technical um, uh, expository, going through all of the details and what did the first century believe and what did uh, what did the ancient Near East believe. Um, this is the number one work. Now, there's a couple things. Uh, the Bible and Homosexual Practice, Texts and Hermeneutics by Robert Gankin. Now, there's a couple things to be aware of about this book. First of all, Robert Gankin is a high, does subscribe to higher critical leanings. So he's going to be talking about the J source and the D source and the P source when you're going through the Old Testament. So you do need to be aware of that. Uh, secondly, this is a, a thick, technical, heavy book. Okay, this is not, you know, the other books that we've talked about are really written on a lay level. This is written on a technical level. Uh, this is kind of assuming that you have some familiarity with the ancient languages. Um, I've used some of it profitably, uh, even in my apologetics class, because one of the things they'll try, uh, the pro-gay uh, theologians will try and do, is they will try and explain away uh, against nature by saying, well, it's against their nature. And he has a whole long section of quotes from the first century from Jewish thinkers about what it meant when they said, because Paul was not the first one to say this, what it meant when they said that homosexuality is against nature. And so, uh, there's profit there, but that is a kind of a big, thick one. It's a lot to wade through, but he's he's thought through things very thoroughly, and it's kind of the gold standard when it comes to the more nitty-gritty. So Kevin DeYoung, Rosario Butterfield, Robert Gankin, if you're looking to cut your teeth on some of these issues, those would be good places to start. And if you want a really bad book, go, go out there and look for the clobber passages. That's, that's right. That teaches pretty much the opposite of everything we were talking about today. Well, and another one that, uh, as you mentioned, that writes on these from the pro-gay side that's very popular, well-known, Matthew Vines mm. wrote God and the Gay Christian, and that was kind of uh, one of the main uh, books that that movement has coalesced around. So if you want to get into what do they think and how do they, how in the world can somebody read the Bible and say, I can still be gay, Matthew Vines' God and the Gay Christian is probably one of the best ways to try and understand the arguments that you may, that you may hear. And, and that's another thing. These arguments are s- split up and fragmented. They're all over social media. You know, if you've got teenagers, they're hearing these arguments. Yep. And that may seem strange to you, um, but but they are. This is, you know, you may have somebody coming up to you and talking to you about the Greek word arsenikoites in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and you may be thinking, what in the world, where are they getting this? They're getting it from social media. Uh, that's just kind of the world that we live in. Yep. They're getting it from blogs. Uh, the, there's an enemy who wants to convince an entire generation, no, 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 this is okay. And so just some things to be aware of. Yeah. Well, Ben, thank you very much. If you want more information on this topic, feel free to uh, subscribe to the Frontline magazine and you can get this uh, issue called The Gender Controversy and you can read Ben's article, A Little Compromise is a Big Deal. So, Ben, thanks for taking the time with us and uh, we hope you enjoyed this Proclaim and Defend podcast. Uh, subscribe and listen so that you can make sure you get other uh, reports like this in the future, other podcasts that we hope helps equip you to be a strong believer in the world that we live in today. This has been the Proclaim and Defend podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and give us a good review. If you want to learn more about the FBFI, check out our website at fbfi.org or our blog, Proclaim and Defend, at proclaimanddefend.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Proclaim and Defend podcast.